ask you to open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The most recent publication of the Southern Seminary magazine was dedicated to the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation and the bold declaration, here we stand. The opening paragraph of Dr. Moeller's introduction to this issue, which article is entitled The Centrality of Scripture Yesterday, Today, and Forever, the opening paragraph reads this way. In October 2017, Protestant churches around the world will commemorate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. In doing so, these churches are not celebrating any particular individual, but God's work in reawakening the church to the central truths of the gospel. We remember God's work in the past and rejoice in the church's recovery of the doctrines of justification and the ultimate authority of Scripture. This morning, as we open our Bibles, our goal is to bring glory to our God and to recapture in our minds, in our affections, the pillars of what make us a Protestant church that is faithful to God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we have this great statement by Paul to Timothy, his uh, what we would call apostolic representative, or you can call him his protege, you can call him his disciple, you can call him a lot of things, but what Timothy was is the one who took the baton from Paul to carry forth the word of God to churches as Paul was going off the scene. And as Paul writes to him this last letter before Paul is executed for his stand for God and the gospel, Paul wants to remind Timothy of his job. Beginning in verse 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What is that ministry about? Well, he's just been speaking about it. It's the word. It's the authoritative word. It is the inspired word. It is the infallible word. It is the word that is without error. 
This word tells us about God. And it tells us about us. And it tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us about the Spirit of God. It tells us about the Church of God. The Word of God is, without a doubt, the authoritative source of everything a church ought to believe and practice. I invite you to open your Bibles now to 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'll remind you of what Paul told the church at Ephesus in his last address formally to them um, with the elders face to face. He said in Acts 20, 27, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. The, the word of God is the source and substance of what we stand for. It's the source and substance of what we believe. It's the source and substance of what we practice. It's the source and substance of what we preach. We will, as our time goes along, discuss the five solas of the Reformation. But it's just my humble opinion that without sola scriptura, you don't have the other solas. I read an article that said that sola de gloria, the glory of God, um, that that was the, the glue that held the, the solas together. And, and I respectfully agree in one sense, but, but disagree in, in utter in the, the most real sense, because without the scriptures, we don't know God and his glory. Without the scriptures, we don't know about the faith that is necessary for salvation. Without the scriptures, we don't know that Christ is the only source of salvation. Without the scriptures, we don't know that God's grace is the only way to gain access to God and heaven. And so with Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, I want for us to notice in verses 10 and 11, the call. In verse 10 it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, will you say it with me? Oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whoever speaks, speak as one who has the oracles, the statements, the words, the promises, the proclamations of God. See, I don't come week after week and talk to you about me. Occasionally I'll throw in some dumb story about myself or my family. Occasionally I'll tell you about something I struggle with. The subject is never me, right? And sometimes I'll talk to you a little bit about you. But you're not the subject of our gatherings, are you? The subject of our gatherings, first of all, is God's Word. And God's Word points us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we gather together. We speak not from the whims of men, not from intelligentsia, not from experience, not from psychological findings. We speak the authoritative, infallible word of God. Head over, please, with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. God's word is the truth. When we open the pages of God's word and we read, we are reading the words of God. God used men. 
He carried them along to pen these words, but they are God's words. One historian, Earl Carnes, wrote concerning the Reformation, the reformers were anxious to develop a theology that was in complete accord with the New Testament and believed that this could never be a reality as long as the church, instead of the Bible, was made the final authority. Folks, as part of the church of Jesus Christ, it is our solemn duty to stand upon the sure foundation of the Bible. It is our duty to stand upon the firm foundation, the sure foundation of the Bible. The tides of popular opinion hold no sway on us. The tides of religious tradition hold no sway on us. And the tides of religious opinion hold no sway on us. Where philosophy or tradition or religion are in opposition to the written word of God, we must reject these proposals and hold firmly to the Bible. We have a text of scripture before us this morning. And what we want to notice as we go through, and, and obviously we're not going to be able to exposit every iota of this passage. It is, it is packed with the gospel and truth that we need. But we are going to survey this text, understanding that without God's providential hand in providing us with the Bible, we would not know his will and purposes. I want to repeat that. Without God's providential hand in providing us with the Bible, we would not know his will and his purposes. And as we go through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we want to recognize some truths that we would not know. We would not know if the Bible did not declare them. First of all, the Bible declares our spiritually dead state. The Bible declares our spiritually dead state. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, you'll remember that Paul penned the words, In sin, my mother conceived me. That was David that penned those words. You'll remember that Paul said in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That by one man's transgression, all have been declared guilty before God. From both the secular and religious world, this concept of our spiritually dead condition is rejected. You've heard, I assume, statements like this. There is a spark of divinity in us all. If you haven't heard that, you've definitely heard this. We're basically good. Oh, that person's problem is that he was raised in a bad environment. If you took him out of that environment, he would have surely made better decisions than that. That is a rejection of the Bible's authority when the Bible tells us that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins. Through church history, there have been many attempts to circumvent this truth. One of them was called Pelagianism. Pelagianism was fought against by Augustine back many, many, many years ago. Pelagianism basically says that man is, is neutral 
and can choose what is good and can attain a good standing with God by choices that he makes. And then that was soundly defeated by Augustine. And then semi-Pelagianism came along and it's almost as if, okay, well, um, we need God's help. God, God does this much, but you know, we have to first initiate this. We are the first cause of God's salvific purposes. We take the first step, and then he issues grace. Well, that is also an unbiblical understanding. This text simply says you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We've covered this, folks. What did dead people do? They don't do anything. Just go through the ride of the Pirates of the Caribbean. We'll tell you right at the beginning. Dead men tell no tales. They can't. They don't have the ability to. Spiritually dead people cannot make a move toward God. No chance. Not happening. This text tells us that. We believe this not because we're smarter than everyone else. We believe this because it says it. That's called sola scriptura. Scripture alone. If scripture says it, who am I to dispute it? The world will, and religious circles will, but we will not because we believe in the written word of God. If the Bible didn't declare that we were spiritually dead, we would not believe it. We would think, hey, look at that little cute kid. He's so cute, and, and of course he's going to choose the right things. I'm going to train him, and I'm going to train him to like what's good and to hate what's bad, and he'll do the right thing all the time. Is that how that works? You try really hard, right? And they still make bad choices, like you did, like I did, because... <laughs> in and of ourselves, we, we go contrary to the will and way of God. That's the first thing the Bible declares from this text, our spiritually dead state. Secondly, the Bible declares our bondage to sin. We also wouldn't believe this. We would think that uh, if, if you're raised in the right environment, under the right circumstances, your parents uh, gave you all the self-esteem you could handle and built up your self-image as much as you, they could and, and taught you all the things that were, were good, that you would turn out and turn away from those things that are bad and turn toward those things that are good, but it doesn't work that way. We are bound in our sinful human nature to sin. Look at what it says, beginning in verses 2 and 3. It says, in which... You once walked. In what did I walk? Trespasses and sins. Well, it's just me, of course, because I'm just a bad person. No, this is following the course of this world. Everyone else is doing the same thing. What's the real problem? Well, uh, the problem is I'm a sinner, but I also have other influences. This is following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so we have a compounded problem, our own sin, a world around us that sins, and, and demonic influences that want to lead us towards sin. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of, what does it say? Your mama's flesh, your daddy's flesh. Whose flesh? Our flesh. You did what you liked. You did what you desired. You did what made you feel good. Our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. And so the Bible declares that we are in bondage. Born in bondage to sin. We wouldn't know that. We would maybe get a hint of that one. As we lived out our lives. Making poor choices and hurting others. But the Bible makes it very clear, and the Bible speaks authoritatively. 
that we are born in sin and in bondage to sin. Thirdly, this text will tell us that God, uh, tell us about God's prerogative to give life. Now, you see that verse 4 starts with a but. So when we were in charge, we were dead in trespasses and sins, right? When we were in charge, we walked in trespasses and sins. When we were in charge, we followed the course of the world. When we were in charge, we followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we lived among uh, out the passions of our flesh, and we carried out the desires of our body and the desires of our mind. But now someone else takes the driver's seat in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's what God did, made us alive together with Christ. But God made us alive together with Christ. You can take the stuff in the middle there. It's not unimportant. We need that information, but you can take it out for the sentence structure. It says, but God made us alive together with Christ. We didn't make us alive together with Christ. Who did? God did. God did. God's prerogative to give life. He chose to do this. This is out of his abundant mercy. This is out of his great love. This is through his great grace. The Bible declares our spiritually dead state, our bondage to sin, God's prerogative to give life. Fourthly, our spiritual union with Christ. So now if you wanted to continue this sentence just from a structural standpoint, you'd still keep the beginning of verse 4. But God did what? Verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him. There's three verbs. God did three things. He made us alive, he raised us up, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You and I would not know that if we would trust Christ as our substitute on the cross, if we would trust the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross as our Savior, that God would not only free us, removing our sin, that's mercy, grant us righteousness, that's grace, but also tie us together with Christ, to bind us with Christ, to place us in Christ. Where Christ is, I am, because I'm in Christ. When Christ was made alive, because of my relationship with Christ, I was made alive. Because Christ was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. Because Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father, I sit at the right hand of God the Father. This is very clear what it's saying from a, from a, a data information, from a spiritual standpoint. That's complicated, isn't it? Because I feel like I'm sitting right here. Don't you? Do you feel like you died and rose again? Do you feel like you are seated in the heavens? Pretty sure you're going to be hungry in a little while. I don't think you're going to be hungry in heaven. I'm pretty sure that you're going to sin in a little while. I know there will not be any sinning in heaven. We don't feel as though these things are true. We know they're true because the Bible says it. Scripture alone, that is the basis of everything we know 
and believe. He goes on, this Bible declares, fifthly, God's immeasurable grace in saving us. Look at verses 7 and following. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We wouldn't know of God's immeasurable grace in saving us if the Bible didn't tell us. If God didn't declare to us, I love you, I would think, you couldn't love me. I know me. You know you. If you were God, you wouldn't love you. Be honest. You know every rotten thought you've ever had. You know every rotten word you've ever spoken. You know every rotten deed you've ever done. If you were honest with yourself, if I were honest with myself, and I were God, I wouldn't love me. And you wouldn't love you. But God's word declares that his riches of his mercy and his grace and his love have rained upon you as one who is his child. We wouldn't know this without the scriptures. Sixthly, don't get to sixthly too often in a message. God's saving us wouldn't know of God saving us through faith alone. Again, we have these precious texts in eight, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. What's it say? Through faith. The Martin Lloyd-Jones video that you watched right before the, the message, I, don't, I hope you heard it. If you didn't hear it because it was muddled, um, we'll repost it. But in, in addition to that, you did see, you did see the main point. What was it? Justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. This is how a person has the goodness, mercy, and grace of God applied to their lives. And it is out of God's divine goodness that we are able to Embrace what Jesus has done for us. This is glorious. The Bible declares it. And so we know this to be true. Sola Scriptura. Seventh, the Bible declares salvation is God's own workmanship. <laughs> salvation is God's own workmanship. Verse 10. For we are his what? Whose workmanship? Wait a second, didn't I do this? Didn't you do this? Whose poem is this anyway? That's the, the word there has the idea of poem. It's a work of art. For we are his work of art. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God beforehand, uh, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, who's doing this? God is. To whom should the glory belong? All right, so we worked our way through this in a very simple way. Now let's, let's recap this way. The five solas of the Reformation. You ready? Salvation comes, justification comes by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Based upon 
Scripture alone. For the glory of God alone. You have the five solas of the Reformation, and this text just spoke to all of them. This is not information conveyed by a group of scholars or theologians. This is the simple reading of the text. You and I have been called, folks, we've been called by God's grace, through faith, in Christ, based upon the written word of God, for the glory of God, to stand, to stand, to stand upon the truth of the scriptures, to stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, to stand upon grace alone and faith alone in Christ alone. God has called us to stand for justification by faith. There is no other way to God except through Christ. One other text of scripture I want to draw your attention to. It's in the book of Jude, please. Jude, please. Verse, verses 3 and 4. It's right before the book of Revelation. In Jude, verses 3 and 4, God's word says this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our Lord, excuse me, the, the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. What is the call to that church of that day? He's appealing to them to contend for what? Say it with me. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What is the call to you and I? That we are to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We don't do that by holding to tradition. We don't do that by, by being influenced by our society and our culture. We don't do that by being influenced by academia or the psychological world. We do that by holding true to what God has written. God has written you ready? God has written. I want to tell you how many books God has written. God, the God of the universe. He wrote one book. has 66 parts. One book. That's it. Any book that does not agree with what God wrote in his one book that he wrote is wrong. Anything that does not point us to what God said in the 66 books of that one book that he wrote is not very helpful. That doesn't mean you can't have recreational reading. I'm talking about things that would draw our attention away from or influence us away from the one thing that God wrote. I didn't pay anything for this magazine because I'm a graduate. I actually paid for it for several years. But, so I am not, um, I'm not proposing this to you for anything else than what is going to go on when you receive a magazine like this is they're going to point you to the one book that God has written. And I want to read to you one more segment from this. This is Dr. Moeller's statement about here we stand. And he talks about eight ways the Protestant Reformation continues to shape evangelicalism and Southern Seminary. I'm not going to read you the eight points. I'm not going to read you hardly anything except his opening illustration. Listen. You and I need this. Facing the threat of martyrdom and execution, 
Luther appeared on trial at the Diet of Worms before the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Asked on what authority he dared to defy the Pope and the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church, Luther famously replied, you ready? This is what we need. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason, for I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves, I consider myself convinced by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. To those words were added. Listen carefully. Here I stand. I can do. I cannot do. Otherwise, God help me. Folks, we're in the 21st century. We might not, or we might, be in a situation where we will face martyrdom. But what I can tell you is this. We need the same spirit of standing on the one book that God wrote. It is the Holy Scriptures. It is God-breathed. It is the inspired record of what God wants us to know about himself, about us, about Jesus Christ, about justification by faith in Christ. We have nothing else worth standing on. Amen. We don't often recognize religious holidays, but this one is worth recognizing. In God's providential care, he has preserved the truth of the word, the truth of the gospel, and the true church through these men that stood, stood face to face with evil, corruption, error, and facing death. We can do no other. We cannot cater to a world that doesn't want to hear from God. We cannot mask the message. We can't allow culture or religious circles to influence how we communicate the word of God. If we must stand before an executioner to stand for the word of God, it will be well worth it. There is no other book. There is no other book worth dying for. This book. This book is worth dying for. It declares to us the truth of God. We're 500 years removed, and the church still needs to be reformed. This church still needs to be reformed. What I mean by that is we must not cater to what we have done. We must always seek what God's word says to declare to us what is right. The world may change. Churches about may change. People may change. God's word remains steadfast. And we will, by God's grace, remain steadfast to what he's called us to as a church. But it can't just be as a church. It's got to be as a people. As a people. Let's pray together. Father, we are here because of your mercy. We stand assured of our salvation because of your grace. We know these things because of what Christ has done on our behalf as recorded in the scripture, your word. And we know that these things all speak to your glory. God, give us a 
a passion for your word. Give us a passion for the gospel. Give us a passion for you and help us in this day of catering never, never, never to shy away from what you've revealed but to declare it boldly with joy and confidence for your glory. We pray, Father, that we would see by your grace many coming to faith in Christ. We pray for churches all around the world that we would stand as the pillar and ground of the truth. Help us, Father, to recognize that what you have done will stand and you will use people, even people like us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.